Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Nick, CTO of Synchron, and they discuss how Synchron is developing a brain-computer interface that can help treat various neurological diseases. The Brain.io operating system that powers the interface, and how brain-computer interfaces may change the world. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I've been watching the videos of this, what do you call it? It's a brain neural interface? Yeah, brain-computer interface, the the centroid. What does it do? Well, it allows people with paralysis to control external equipment and communicate with loved ones and use computers with their thoughts. Do you have to have paralysis? You don't have to have paralysis, no. That's just the first use case that can move the technology forward through commercialization? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a lot of people out there with, with paralysis from various reasons, you know, stroke, spinal cord injury, motor neuron diseases or, or ALS in the States. And you know, fortunately for, for a lot of them, the, the brain remains intact and still functional. So you know, while they can't use their, their mind to control their limbs, um, they are still generating the same sort of signals that they would have before, before the accident. So with the devices that we're developing, we're sort of bypassing the damage region and getting the information from the brain and directly using that into a computer to allow them to control it. That's pretty cool. You get to like geek out at work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. How did you get involved with this project? It goes back to about 20, 2011, 2012. I met a colleague of mine and I think from, from there, you know, I was working on Bionic Eyes previously, so making little devices to help, help blind people restore vision and really wanted to get into the, the brain space. And so you know, started the company yeah, maybe a decade ago now to, to try and you know, solve this problem and try and allow people with initially paralysis, sure, you know, have some restoration of their mobility and freedom and independence. Nice. So why did you get into this in the first place? Like why this industry? There's so many different things. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe just growing up watching you know, cartoons like uh, Astro Boy and Inspector Gadget. Thought, yeah, that seemed seems pretty cool. Why don't I why don't I do that? <laughs> we live in an amazing time where that's that's possible now, right? So, you know, I've always just loved you know medicine and, and biology, and I've always wanted to figure out how to put them both together and make body parts or or make bits for humans. That definitely seems like the direction we're headed. If you had to guess over some beers about like how far in the future we would be before it's an elective thing for the general public, how many years do you think that would be? You know, right. I think it will start with with smaller things, and you can see that there's a lot of elective procedures that are happening. Yeah, you know, not with the brain, but with other parts of the body. And I'm sure, you know, over time it'll get there. Just a matter so, of proving that it's safe and functional, which is certainly something that we're we're looking at, at showing. So, like six months. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? That's like an Elon Musk timeline, right? <laughs> What's the difference between what you guys do and Neuralink? Well, obviously, there's there's not a whole lot that's been published about Neuralink. So I'm just going by sort of some of the you know, things I've seen online, but it appears that what they're doing is making a small hole in the skull and then sort of stabbing electrodes all the way through into the brain itself to, to take recordings. We're doing it in a way where we don't impact the skull or we don't impact the brain and use blood vessels as a way to, to get to the area of interest in a way that's so invisible. So we don't have the same sort of rejections that 
or infection risks that some other technologies might have. Yeah, when I was watching that video, they ran the stent up the jugular, I believe, up into the brain. Is the stent the tube that they put in or is it the thing that remains behind? The thing that remains behind. So we, we put it in through a catheter and the, okay. the stentrode is what, what goes through the catheter. And when the catheter, the tube is removed, then the stentrode yeah, self-expands to, to conform to the vessel. It's a stentrode that's like electronic stent. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it's got all these sensors on it so it can pick up the, the neural signals from the brain in, in different regions. And then I couldn't tell in the animation that I saw, they put this sort of like lace tube thing into the blood vessel and then it seemed as if it expanded. And then does the blood vessel actually like cells grow over it and then, and then it becomes mm-hmm. like embedded? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's a process called endothelialization, which is essentially the way that the, yeah, the device gets incorporated into the vessel, which means the blood can you know, obviously still flow and the device is invisible to you know, the inside of the blood vessel, but also the outside, which is good for us because it stabilizes the signals and and gets us a little bit closer to to what we're trying to measure. So it's unremovable. You can't take it out. Yeah, I think you can. But like with cardiac stents, generally, if there's, they don't bother taking them out. If they want another one, they just put another one up underneath it. Oh, okay. So there's really not a reason to take them out. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'd imagine that would like rip up your blood vessels or be slightly annoying to your blood vessels, right? I, I think it's difficult surgery, but it's not. It can be done, but you yeah. you generally don't bother because once it's in there, then it's safe and it's not going to go anywhere. Not going to cause any problems. Yeah, I love technology. One of the things I've gotten to talk with others about recently is like transhumanism. So people are telling me about what others are embedding in their body voluntarily. They're doing it in sort of an underground scene. They are pushing like a whole, they call it a transhumanistic movement. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Nice. Would you consider what you guys do as a part of it? I mean, I think this has been going on for decades, right? Like you know, pacemakers and cochlear implants and all those sorts of medical devices have been used to help people with, with medical conditions for, for a long time. And I think it's now just starting to escape from the, the pure medical world into into sort of the more commercial use. Not safely though. I mean I think a lot of these people who are putting the things in their arms aren't clinicians or doctors and perhaps aren't you know, don't have the expertise to, to know how to do it, but they're doing it anyway, right? Oh yeah, it's crazy. The one thing I really wanted to know, are there laws against people volunteering that don't have the medical issues like can an average person volunteer and come up to you and say hey nick i want to volunteer and be part of your next program you can put the thing in my head whatever is that a possibility or is there laws against it no people are allowed to volunteer the problem is that the ethics committees for the hospitals have strict inclusion and exclusion criteria so they wouldn't be included in in the study and so the the physicians wouldn't wouldn't implant it but everyone's allowed to ask right but just at, the, at this point in time, that they wouldn't be suitable for it. Do you have any of these implants, like actually in people? Yeah, yep. There's four Australians who, who have been implanted and we're just starting a, a trial in the US and we've got a couple of recruits that, that should be implanted in the, in the next little while. So getting some numbers up, still a long way to go, but it's been looking really good for so far. And is it just your CEO that's doing the surgeries or is he training other surgeons or is it so common that they can just do it? There are lots of other surgeons around that, that are involved in doing it. Yeah, a couple of guys, you know, sort of Peter Mitchell in Australia and Jay Mocko in the US are, the, are going to be the first practitioners that, that do the implants. And 
And obviously, it's it's a procedure that's done in a, a hospital suite. That's it's very common. This is this is one that people have strokes and blood clots. There there are angio wards sort of all around our country and your country and, and the world. And and the procedure itself is is pretty well understood. We we haven't designed any new medical procedures. We're just using what they they already do normally to either remove blood clots or to to put stents in. So so all the all the clinicians and physicians you know should be trained in in doing this and we're, we're not really asking them to do anything outside their their real level of expertise Dude, this is so cool from the outside i know you're in it and i've watched videos from you all the way back 2016 and then you told me like all the way as far back as 2011 so you've been in it for like over a decade but for me looking at this and watching how quickly i check in on technologies from time to time every couple of years i'll check in oh you know, how far have we gotten with humanoid type robots? How far have we gotten with general intelligence AI? And I've checked the um, the Neuralink type stuff because when I was a kid, one of the earliest memories of my dad was, and I thought it was funny that you said this, was he was working on technology to help blind people see. It was some sort of implant <laughs> and it played tones of them so they wouldn't run into things. So watching him work on that type of stuff was was really cool. He didn't work on it long. He had like, he was a freelancer. And so he had a like a year long project where he worked on something like that. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff coming out, isn't it? Yeah. So you're a CTO. What do you do? Like what is your day like? When you're a small company as we as we have been, the role is really to do everything, right? So all the way through from designing the device, um, you know, prototyping it and, and testing it. You know, obviously then then trying to you know, ramp up and and run the clinical trial and collect the data from the trial is sort of the, the engineering side of things, but obviously with all companies you you got to do all the other stuff as well, right? All the all the admin and uh, and hire the people and do the finances and budgeting and all the stuff that is perhaps less exciting, but but just as important. But but really, I mean, we've been focused on developing this technology and, and doing a huge amount of tests that need to be government regulated, like FDA regulated tests, to prove that it's safe and functional. While we're doing that in the background, making making whatever comes next. So so it's a good job. It's a lot of fun. What is the brain.io? It's sort of the the intelligence behind it, I suppose. So the stentroid itself is passive. It doesn't do anything. Uh, once it's implanted in there, it can pick up the brain signals, transmit these to the telemetry unit that's implanted under the skin in the chest. And these signals are wirelessly transmitted out to what we've called this brain IO, which, which is really what decodes and interprets the brain signals and then translates these into commands that can be used to control a computer or or, or other external devices. So the connection happens from, I saw you put some device in the person's chest and then a mag- mm-hmm. magnet can connect to it to transmit data. Yep. Can it only work with the operating system that you guys have developed or can it work with others? In the first case, it was intentionally designed only to work with our device. You know, there are obviously initial safety and efficacy issues and things like that that you need to you need to demonstrate which is one of the reasons the first generation has you know you have to have the external unit connected for it to work so if you take it off it doesn't work that that was done by design and now that we've shown that things are starting to go well we're, we're starting to reevaluate that design okay so it might be an option that i don't have to have that yeah there's a lot of things i think that the future products won't need to have but a better in at the moment for for initial safeguards all right. Is it just like a full-blown operating system? I mean, I saw a little bit of it on your website. And I think the thing that was unique about it 
when I was reading was that it's completely designed, obviously, for no touch, right? But that requires re- reworking how you do things. Um, obviously, recently, audio, like with the Alexas over the past five, six years, there's been new design patterns on how to build interfaces through these voices. But now you're building these no touch, no voice interfaces, right? It's just through their brain activity that you're controlling the device. Yeah. So there's two parts. There's one part, which is sort of a a clinical programmer, if you will. So it allows the the doctors or or researchers or or carers to help the patient out. Uh, But but yeah, the part you're talking about, that's how we get the signals. What's the best way of decoding them and interpreting them? How do we, how do we really know what the person's trying to do or, uh, and how can we then make that really safe and reliable for them to use a keyboard, for example, or, or a digital keyboard on a screen or, or some other application? You know, the patients we've got at the moment, they're amazing in helping us figure out what, what is valuable to them. And, and then we can start working with them to do that. So one of the, one of the great examples was, you know, our first patient, you know, motor neuron disease or, or ALS, what happens is you sort of become more and more paralyzed and you just can't use your, you can't walk, you can't use your hands, then you start losing the ability to talk. And his wife, uh, who was his carer, you know, had to be, had to be sort of near him so that, you know, if he, if he needed to go to the bathroom or needed a drink or whatever, she, she was able to be there to know that. And so one of the things that, you know, seemed to be very valuable and useful was, well, why don't we just connect him to a, to a phone, right? Why can't we connect him to a messaging application that he can tr- control through his computer or, or through a phone, which allowed her to sort of, you know, leave his side and go into the garden and do some gardening or go down the shops and have some independence for her own life. So, so I thought that was pretty amazing that some of the technology we're building, while it, it helps the person that's, you know, been implanted, there also seems to be a bigger effects that, that help the, you know, the loved ones in the community around them by providing them with sort of the freedom and independence as well. Do you know about how many people there are that are paralyzed in the in the world or in a specific country? One of the studies that came out a few years ago said that there was, you know, by 2025, there'll be over 50 million people in advanced economies alone that will have paralysis or will, will benefit from, you know, brain-computer interfaces. So, so it's a big number. And yeah, there's a huge number of reasons why someone can be paralyzed. But one of the interesting things that, that we're doing is unlike a lot of other medical technologies where you have to have a, a disease and then something to fix the disease, we're coming at it and saying, well, there's, we don't care what the disease is, if it's you know stroke or spinal cord injury or neuron disease or, or anything else that causes the paralysis, that's sort of irrelevant. We just want to fix the problem of the output. And so we've been working closely with the FDA to, to provide us the, the ability to solve the, the problem rather than the medical condition, which is something that hasn't been done before, but obviously makes perfect sense in this sort of field. 50 million people. That's a lot of people, man. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love what you're doing. Hello world on Twitter. Like you did a hello world on Twitter through the yeah. interface. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was pretty amazing. The, the patient, a fantastic gentleman, a, like a beautiful person and, and really wanted to get his story out and, and encourage other people and provide them with a little bit of hope that what they're going through is... It's horrible, but there, but there are things that are coming out that'll that'll make their lives easier. So he wanted to do that, and was was pretty excited about being the, the first person to to tweet just using his mind. And, you know, obviously, hello world seemed like the most appropriate thing to say, and and yeah, he's, he's been loving it. Help me understand as a layman, 
Like I saw the video where they can actually, you know, he could pick the word, the letters, hello. And I understand for me, it's really easy to understand the muscle movement thing, right? Like if I think my arm will go there because it's happening partially autonomously, right? Anyways, in the, in the background, but like, how do you do specific, how do you call out specific letters? Yeah. So there are a couple of ways it can be done. Essentially your brain is split up into there are parts of your brain, the motor cortex, and that's split up into all of your different limbs and fingers. Um, so there's a spot here for your left leg and you know, your right arm and you know, your left finger and all, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and so if you put sensors over those different parts, then you can you know when the person is thinking about doing an intentional movement to move that. So if I move it, do a squeeze of the hand, then a part of my brain will be become more active. If I move my leg, then a different part of the brain will be active. And so by using those signals, then the person can start controlling a switch. And once they can start controlling switch, then it's, it's like playing a game, right? Um, different games use the same button that might be accelerate or, or jump or punch or whatever it is, depending on the game. It's the same button, just a different game. And so we can get them to control a whole lot of different things by learning how to use the button and then providing them with different games to do it on. I love that explanation. Can you give it, can you boil it down a little bit more? Like I get what you're saying as far as you can map muscle movements to letters. Is that correct? Yeah, you can. But what we're doing is we're mapping muscle moves to call it switches and then using those switches to control, for example, a a letter or the, the click of a mouse to select the letter. Oh, so you can track their eyes and then they can... Right? Is that yeah? So that one way you can do it is you can use eye tracking to track the eyes. Other ways you can do it is you can use different switches, if you will, to decide which direction to go, and then have another switch for for click. So so it's like a brain mouse, I suppose, where they can you know there are some switches that go up, some that go left, right, down, and then there's a click one, and you can use a whole mouse just by thinking about moving it in different directions. That is so cool. And so when I'm doing that, pretend I'm a user, I'm doing that. How do you train these people? Like, how do you teach them this stuff? <laughs> we found the best way to teach them was to get them to teach themselves, actually. The first patient we had, we, we had these, you know, it's like, let's do this first and this first and this first and try and teach them how to do it. And for him, it, it didn't work very well. And it was only when we sort of stepped back and said, okay, you sort it out. Then he was really able to just make it, make it work on his own. So I think, I think we're still trying to figure out the best way to help, help patients use it. But it seems sometimes the best help is just, giving it to them and saying, off you go. Like, we'll be here to help and you figure out how to make it click. You figure out how to, how to get it to work because no one knows their brains better than they do, right? And, and that just seemed to be a really good way of, of getting them to start using it and getting the feedback. But there's obviously more to it than that, but in basic sense, I think a lot of people are different and, and we've got to just make sure that they learn in a way that's best suited for them. So let's say we have four people using this technology. Are the switches the same for all four? Are the mappings the same for all four? Or does it learn the user and they could be different for different people? So in the first four that we implanted, we, we did a functional MRI. So we mapped the brain based on the different movements. Um, they couldn't do the movements, obviously, but we would ask them, you know, move your left hand, move your right hand, and then we'll be able to see where these, these sort of uh, brain areas are and where they're mapped to. Generally, people have the same sort of brain and the mapping is pretty much the same. The difference is how well you can control these different parts of your brain. Um, people who are you know, really good at typing or playing the piano, 
might be very good with their fingers. Um, people who play soccer might have be really good at controlling parts of their brain for their feet. And so people are different in that degree in, in regards to how well they can control different bits. It's all pretty much the same. And so we can put the sensors, and we've obviously got lots of sensors around you know, the, the outside of the stent that, that goes through these different regions. And so we can just chop and choose and say, okay, well, they're really good at this one. We're getting a great signal from you know, near the leg area. So let's use that as a, as a way to control um, the, the switch or the click they're trying to make. Okay. So it's really complicated. <laughs> yeah, I guess the way I said it made it sound really complicated. But the the end goal is, of course, you know, they'd use it just straight out of the box. They'd, they'd have it implanted. Um, you know, they'd, they'd leave the theater that day. I mean, it's not an invasive procedure, so you don't have to stay overnight. Like some of the other, you know, if you're removing skull or, or putting things in a brain, then you have to be kept in hospital for a while. Whereas this, you sort of do it and leave the same day as, as is the case with with blood clots and then, you open the box and off you go and you can use it straight away. And I think there's, there's certainly the potential for to be able to do that. That's amazing, by the way. Like, I mean, so I'm 34 for context, right? When we were kids, technology was at a certain level. But now I believe we're feeling like that exponential curve up. I mean, in the past month, I've talked to a person who can, you know, change the antigens of blood cells to make blood types universal. I've talked to people who can cut frog legs off and send bioelectrical signals to them to get the frog leg to regrow. And frogs don't do that usually. A molecular beverage printer, you can put your cup under there, press a button and it makes like any beverage in the world. This stuff is insane and it's happening and it's like here right now. Yeah. Yeah. The the world is, it's an amazing time to be alive, right? There's, there's so much going on and and it's fascinating. Every every sort of rock you look under, there's there's some new invention or some new new group coming up with something that's really going to make a difference on on how we we live our lives. It's uh, very exciting. Yes, it is. What about yeah. misconceptions? What do people get wrong a lot about this technology? I think people get wrong the most often is is sort of mind control and thinking that you can go in and completely change someone else's mind with one of these devices and control them. I mean, it doesn't work like that, right? Like that's sort of Hollywood science fiction. So what, what happens is the brain comes up with a signal and the signal sent out to allow them to control something with their mind. You can't put things in and get people to do stuff. Like that's, that's not where we're at. And so I think there's a lot of fear for, from seeing, you know, Hollywood films that, you know, you might be able to, these devices might, might one day be able to control someone that, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that as a problem at all. The signaling is, it's one way? It's like only out? Yeah, the signal is just coming out. One way signal, okay. exactly. Oh, because in your video, you guys said that you would control the exoskeleton with it. That's right. So you can control things, but the exoskeleton is not going to control you, right? So it's only information out, like you were saying. That's a good way to put it. Okay. But eventually, I'd probably be able to build like an API and like a third-party product and connect it to yours and put electrodes in my muscles and then do something like that. Do you imagine the ecosystem is going to get huge like that? I think there's a lot of things that that people will be able to start controlling and doing. Um, certainly, as it goes beyond what medical purposes. I mean, you've already seen exoskeletons. Probably you've already seen exoskeletons mm-hmm. used by by people who work in in the docks or down by the piers. You know putting on these robots to help them lift really heavy things. Um, yeah, that's just sort of the start of, of how, you know, these sort of assistive technologies are starting to, to be used in, in commonplace. And, and that's not a medical application. It's just a really important 
you know, way to get more strength right for these for these workers. So, so I think there's a, a lot of stuff that's going to be going to be very exciting and glad to be here to see it. I think from this whole experience, one of the things that I just kept gravitating towards was that operating system because that's something that other companies could build on top of, right? Pretty easily, right? Like any physical devices that's trying to do the exact same thing is obviously a competitor. But typically, as these things emerge, some of these really hard to solve problems. I mean, it was really hard to make that, right? Like reimagining an operating system with all of this. I mean, that must have been a super difficult project. Or was there like already something out there? Bits and pieces. We try and take advice and guidance from the things that have come before us and and spend our time and energy on the things that don't exist, right? So so whatever we can we can use that that's already there makes perfect sense to do that. But if it doesn't suit the purpose, then yeah, we have to make our own. I think that goes goes for for all the different components, whether it's software or hardware or or whatever applications come next. Nothing, you know. Certainly, for us, for example, we're not, we don't want to build the prosthetic bionic arms at this stage. Um, there are companies doing that, and they're doing an amazing job. So let them do it. Let them let them make it really good, and then we just want to tap into it when when we're ready. I've actually got a bionic arm guy. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Never thought I'd say yeah. that. Dude, this is amazing. This is amazing. Well, the only question that I didn't ask yet, what do you look for in young entrepreneurs? Are you hiring young entrepreneurs? Well, we're always searching. Sure. I mean, we have different positions, right? We're after a hardware engineer or a mechanical engineer or, or clinician or whatever it is. But but really, we want, as just a general rule, someone who's enthusiastic about about what's going on, someone who's, who's, who's really driven to make the world a better place and, and someone who you know, likes to have a bit of a laugh. And so I think, Skills are one thing. You can train people up to do things, but you know it's the attitude, really. And, and if you if you want it, you're excited about it, you're passionate about it, and and are really striving to help others, then that seems to fit in with with what we're about. Can they find out? Do you have careers or jobs posted on your website? Yeah, yeah. There are, there are a bunch posted on the website. There are lots more that that haven't been posted, but yeah, that's the best place to start for sure. And what's the website? Synchron.com. Perfect. And then for the last question. What is like the one big goal that you and the CEO and everybody is driving towards right now at your company? The one big one at the moment is to get market approval for the endovascular brain computer interface. We're we're well on the way. You know, having what that requires is is doing a, a pivotal trial in the US and, and potentially globally and just getting enough patients that we can have evidence that it's safe and that it's functional and you know the first four patients we've implanted have, have certainly shown that there have been no medical serious adverse events over the number of years that they've had it in you know they've all been able to use it to control computers um you know to shopping and banking and emailing and texting and so forth so we just need to show that that happens with with more people and that these first four weren't all all flukes uh and then then we should be able to to have a device that's that's in the market and available for the people that, that really need it. I love it. On behalf of all humans, thank you for spending <laughs> your time this way. I <laughs> welcome it. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.